We'll open our Bibles to Philippians, continuing to look at the verses of this letter written by Paul and Timothy to the saints in Philippi, and we'll read together Philippians 2, verses 17 to 30, it's on page 981. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you're reading this and maybe you're wondering why did the Holy Spirit include our text in the Holy Scriptures to be preserved for generations? How does it affect our faith lives today in 2019 that Paul at one time sent the anxious Epaphroditus home to Philippi with a letter in his hand to let the church there know of his plans to send Timothy with news about his situation before he would come to see them himself. As we read the letter to the Philippians kind of over their shoulders and perhaps wonder how it could bless our faith lives today, we need to remember that Paul's plans in years gone by are part of the holy scriptures that are useful for teaching, reproof, correcting, and training in righteousness, as we read in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Since Paul was a servant of Jesus Christ, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the work that he did 
to continue the spread of the gospel after Christ had ascended into heaven is really the ongoing work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Holy Spirit saw fit to include these historic one-time events because they are just as much a part of Jesus Christ's work for us as his birth, Christmas, as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We are reading of the work of Jesus Christ through his servants. And as a result, our text today with its interesting, historically specific content reveals to us what God desires to see in his church and among his covenant people throughout the ages. Philippians 2 verses 17 to 30 becomes a very important text when we are learning about the qualifications of office bearers and the mandate of the congregation to cooperate with them in their work. It stands behind that mandate we read about in the form for ordination, for example. The Holy Spirit exhorts us to rejoice when we see people dedicating themselves to humble service in the church in all ages, in all places in the world. The theme of rejoicing, you can see as if you have your Bibles open, you can see that it's, it's central in these few verses. In verse 17, Paul speaks of his rejoicing in suffering. Verse 18, he calls the church to rejoice. Verse 19, he seeks to be cheered by news from the church in Philippi. And he feels it necessary, verses 28 and 29, that both Epaphroditus and the believers in Philippi are rejoicing together. Paul's plans to send men to different places reveal our Lord Jesus' desire that God's people ought to be rejoicing over in the work of the Spirit that is evident in the work of office bearers and the congregation as a whole. And I preach to you this gospel. Our Lord wants his church to rejoice over humble or over dedication to humble service. And so we'll see that we can rejoice in the dedication of leaders in their special offices and secondly, believers in their general office. If you look to the verse right before our text, verse 16, Philippians 2, verse 16, the apostle explained that if the church would hold forth the word of life until the day of Christ, their faithfulness would make his own running and laboring all worth it. The Holy Spirit reveals that the office bearers that follow the example of Jesus Christ's humility are men who are focused, who are dedicated, who are helpful for the church of God. Our Lord Jesus wants us to rejoice over their dedication. And we are given three examples of different men in their special offices. We see that, verses 16b to 18, is Paul. And then after that is Timothy. And in the third place, it's Epaphroditus. In these men, we have real, down-to-earth examples that can be imitated 
of what dedication looks like in the life of Christ's church. The dedication that brings rejoicing to the church of Jesus Christ is exemplified, first of all, in Paul's willingness to empty himself out in complete dedication to God's people. He had already said in chapter 1, verses 21, and then again 24, he said that as long as he was alive, he would dedicate his life to fruitful labor among the churches who needed him. And then Philippians 2, verse 16, he repeated that all his running and his laboring, his exhausting himself, was focused on the faithfulness of God's people so that they might be there to welcome Jesus Christ on the day of his return. And then in chapter 2, verse 17, he compares his ministry to the pouring out of a drink offering. In a drink offering, the contents of the cup were completely poured out. Nothing was kept in the cup in reserve for a later time. It's a very clear illustration that Paul did not intend to hold anything back as he did the work of Jesus Christ. He would be working until the day of his death. He wasn't thinking of some years of, of stopping working. Just as the drink offering was poured upon the main sacrifice, sort of as the last part of that sacrifice, it was added to it, it, it prepared the main sacrifice, it completed the main sacrifice, so Paul was saying he would pour himself out completely for the well-being of Christ's churches. And the Holy Spirit presents Paul in our text as an example for all leaders in their special offices, calling leaders to even be glad, to, to rejoice, verse 17, to rejoice at the opportunity to dedicate your life completely to God. And as we're thinking about this pouring out completely for the church, we also have to notice the end verses of our text. We must not forget, as Paul is saying this, that, that Paul, at one point, he sent the distressed Epaphroditus back home. He sent him home because the church in Philippi and Paul were experiencing anxiety about his situation. We see that adds a balance to what the Holy Spirit is teaching. For the Holy Spirit makes it clear that anxiety is not good. When we are no longer able to be glad and to rejoice over a person's dedication to humble service, our text makes it clear that this is enough reason to change our approach, to change the way of service. As he continues his work from heaven, through his servants on, the, on earth, our Lord Jesus, who calls office bearers to empty themselves out for the church, does not call us to ignore the debilitating effects of illness, of homesickness, of anxiety. And the message for leaders in their special offices is, is very clear then. Pour yourselves out 
like a drink offering for God's people. But also pay careful attention to yourselves, Acts 20, verse 28, so that you can do your task with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to anyone, says the Lord in Hebrews 13, verse 17. A second example of dedication that brings rejoicing to the church of Jesus Christ is seen in Timothy's ministry, whom our Lord sent as a messenger between the apostle and his congregation in Philippi to ensure that anxiety would be replaced with a cheered heart. And in the praise that Timothy receives from the Holy Spirit, again we are given an outline of the characteristics that the Lord Jesus values in the leaders of his church. Those who faithfully take up the task of office in the church today can prove their worth. You can see that in verse 22. Prove your worth, prove your, your character in their doctrine by being like-minded, the same mind of Paul. To have a kindred spirit and to serve in the gospel as a son with his father. Calling to apostolic faithfulness in doctrine among those whom God appoints to works to work in his church. And then we keep reading, we see that, that Timothy's worth was seen in his genuine concern, verse 20, for the welfare of the congregation. And his genuine concern was a reflection of his desire to seek the interests of Christ over his own interests. And then Paul makes a contrast between Timothy and the other available men who were not willing to go to Philippi, who were only looking at their own interests. And he teaches us that people, when people are too busy with their own selfish interests, too busy to dedicate themselves to pastoral care, then they are working against the interests of Christ. The Holy Spirit calls spiritual leaders to imitate the example of Christ, who was willing to leave the throne room of his Father for the congregation that he bought with his own blood. And besides his character, it is important to note the work that Timothy did as pastor and messenger. You can see why he was called. It's in verse 19. He was called to be a messenger, a pastor. Timothy was called to, to visit the congregation in Philippi and then to cheer the apostle with news. Well, we see that work continuing today in the pastoral care that is exercised in the congregation through the elders and the deacons. They, the elders and the deacons, they come to your home to receive news about your well-being so that they can cheer 
the consistory and the meeting of the consistory and the, the elders and the deacons with news about your faith. In the ups and downs of your lives as you fulfill your mandate. That work of Timothy continues in, in the family visits. The result of cheering God's leaders continues as well. In turn, we notice that our Lord Jesus, through his apostle Paul, wanted the churches to know about the latest, uh, the latest about his own situation as Paul was waiting his verdict. You could see that as in verse 23. I hope him to... I hope to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. He, he wants Timothy to give news of his situation to the churches. And so the Holy Spirit shows us what? He shows that he values transparency between the workers that he employs in his kingdom and the congregation in which they serve. And so Timothy's role was equivalent to the work of modern-day clerks of the different assemblies, the authors of the short reports and press releases, the news bulletins from the different churches and mission organizations around the world. Timothy was called and appointed to, to this task, revealing the work of the leaders to God's people. And the Lord wants these tasks done with genuine concern for the welfare of God's people as we seek not our own interests but those of Jesus Christ. And as we read the passage, we see how, how dedication to the kingdom of Jesus Christ shows itself in all areas of service in the churches. And it all needs to be done with that selfless love for God's people. In the different ways of dedicating ourselves to the kingdom of God are also shown when Paul writes to the believers about Epaphroditus, whom the Lord presents to us as the third example of dedication to humble service in the kingdom. By mentioning Epaphroditus in the Holy Scripture, the Holy Spirit honors a man who labored in the diaconal work of being a messenger of taking a gift to a man who was in prison many miles away. Paul calls him a brother. He calls him a fellow worker. He calls him a fellow soldier. And so he emphasizes the extreme importance of all the activities that are done by everyone in the body of Christ as they seek to serve one another. Kingdom work does not just mean mission activity, going on mission trips. It doesn't just mean teaching and preaching, but it includes tasks of using your hands and your legs to travel, to deliver a message, to support the ministry of the gospel with, with gifts, with comfort, with, with care. The mandate shared by all the three special offices in the church touches on all aspects of our lives. And the work of giving someone a ride or a meal under the supervision of the deacons is, is worthy of equal attention and honor 
as the pastoral work that is done under the supervision of the elders and ministers. And, and as the two, you can imagine two people going to visit someone, each with a different task. They can say, my fellow worker, as you are holding a meal, and someone else going to do a pastoral visit, my, my fellow soldier, my brother, my sister, serving the Lord together. And Paul urges the church to rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord for the work of Epaphroditus who emptied himself to the very point of death in his humble service for the church. Even though he knew that his absence and much more his illness while he was away caused the congregation who loved him, who had sent him, caused him great concern. You see, it's not always easy to, to be away from your home to serve in God's kingdom. But people who accept the call to carry out a task given by the church serve in difficult and even dangerous situations. They are needed by the church in order that all of us can fulfill our own responsibilities in the office of all believers. We see that in the second point, we can rejoice in the dedication of believers in their general office. And the principle that the Holy Spirit reveals in this passage of Philippians is that the special offices were given by Christ in order to equip the whole congregation to fulfill their sacrificial offering of their faith. You can see that in verse 17. The drink offering. Paul was pouring himself out completely, but he was only to be compared to the drink offering that was added to the main sacrificial offering of the faith of the saints. The reason that the Holy Spirit is, is praising office bearers who are selfless in their service, who are transparent in their leadership, who are humble in their honesty is because the welfare of the congregation as a whole is the center of God's work. Everyone and everything must serve to promote the welfare of God's churches. And the Holy Spirit urges God's people to be glad and to rejoice in the same thing as Paul. It's in verse 18. Because at the end of the day, both leaders and non-leaders in the congregation of Christ share the same mandate to strengthen the church, to, to see it grow. And it is striking that although it was clear that most of God's people in Philippi were simply unable to go and make the long journey to visit Paul in Rome, he calls that a lack in their service to him. Think about that. They couldn't even go. He calls that a lack of their service to him. And Paul's words make it clear that even when it is basically impossible for everyone to do something or to go somewhere at the same time, that does not mean we are no longer responsible as individuals to work together to ensure that the work of the church gets done. Just because I can't go doesn't mean I'm not responsible. 
finding, sending, and supporting men and women to serve in God's kingdom and all the different work that needs to be done is essential to the very nature of the church of Jesus Christ to which we must be dedicated. When we can't go, the only way to complete what is lacking is to find, to train, and to send another member of our household of faith to go in our place as a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, minister to the needs of others. You can think of it in a very practical, modern-day example. We're all responsible for the preaching of the Word in this place and from this pulpit. And that is why our dedication to the kingdom, that in our, in our dedication to the kingdom, we find, train, and appoint elders and ministers to, to ensure that happens. We all are responsible for the work of charity among one another. And that is why Christ has told us to find and appoint deacons in every church to equip the saints for this work. We all are responsible for meeting with other churches in Canada and the world to, to meet with these churches, to work together. But we can't all go to the broader assemblies. We can't all go to classes and general synod. And so we as a church appoint delegates. We all are responsible for church planting, for church growth, for mission. But we can't all be missionaries and mission workers. So in our dedication to humble service, we find people who can complete what is lacking in our service. It is this burden of corporate responsibility to find and to train and to send faithful workers that makes God's people rejoice when we see men like Paul who are willing to pour themselves out in the kingdom of God. And Paul says, and you ought to rejoice over this. We show our dedication to our responsibility when we are looking for workers in the church who have the characteristics of Timothy. Whenever we need to fill vacancies in our service, we ask God for committee members, for office bearers, for delegates, any other kingdom workers who have proven their Christian worth, not just whoever might be available. People who hold to the apostolic teachings as a son with his father, not just people who, who are active, not just activists, but faithful servants and people who sincerely seek Christ's interest before their own. No one is selfish or lazy. And the faithfulness of those who are devoted to the gospel, who, who represent us, who are appointed by us as a, as a congregation, it, th their faithfulness reflects our faithfulness, our dedication. And all this makes us think in all the, the busyness of our own families, and our own work, and our own projects, and our own plans, do we still understand the collective responsibility that we have? Do, do you realize that if there is a shortage 
of workers. It is a lack in our service and that this is your problem too. Whoever you may be, as long as you are part of the body of Christ, it's a good question to ask. What am I doing to complete what is lacking in our responsibilities in the kingdom? And then once people have been chosen, people come forward to serve and are sent to represent us in the different tasks of the kingdom, both locally here in our own congregation, but also abroad. Our text highlights that the whole congregation continues to have responsibility for the work that is being done. Our Lord's emphasis on maintaining good communication between the apostle and his congregation, his decision that it was important that Timothy went back, that Epaphroditus knew what was happening. Together with Paul's mention in chapter 1, verse 19, about the power of the prayer of God's saints, it reveals to us that even after we send a representative, we remain partners with those who work in God's kingdom. Chapter 1, verse 5, verse 9. We remain partners even when we can't see them anymore. It is a part of the mandate of the congregation to pray for those who represent us regularly, to be glad about their willingness, to be cheered by contact and updates and news, to be attentive to the workers' needs. Paul's decision to send Epaphroditus back because of his anxiety and his homesickness, show us to what extent we are called to care for the well-being of the workers we send. Yet to know that there was a need, yet to act on that need. And since we are always dealing with real people, not machines, when we are dedicated to humble service as, as a congregation, we will, meant, we will want to remember that the activities of the church are limited by the capabilities of the people that we assign to the different tasks in the kingdom. Stress, anxiety, homesickness, illness, other hardships are real among the workers that we choose to represent us. And when it is ignored, and a fellow soldier, a fellow worker is lost for the work, Rather than rejoice with them, we will, with Paul, face sorrow upon sorrow. And as Paul concludes the description of his plans, he gives the church the general mandate to receive people who serve like Epaphroditus with joy, to hold them as honorable. That's in verse 29. And the word honor means to respect it means to treat as valuable and precious. When Paul commands Timothy by saying there is no one like him of such proven worth, proven character, and when Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier, he shows us what it means to honor the workers whom Christ has appointed. Look at the language he uses to speak of those who are representing the churches. After we have chosen people, proven character to carry out a task that we are unable to do, 
We honor them by trusting them to be faithful in the work that they have been given, by respecting what they have done, by being willing to learn from their perspective, by holding them in esteem because of their work, says Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 13. Although the Holy Spirit is speaking in very general terms, he gives us ample room for creativity in expressing our appreciation and our joy for the work that is being done. Personal experience has shown that when people who assign you to your task express interest in your well-being, who take time to read and to listen to updates on the work that is being done, who show their support with cards and care packages that serves as an encouraging reminder that we are all partners together in the work of Christ to the glory of God. And as we read through the passage, it, it may be going through your mind right now, it should be, when is the last time you honored your elder, your deacon, your organist, your usher, your babysitter, your volunteer, your committee member, by letting them know that you appreciate their dedication. You understand that they are doing that because you can't at this time. When is the latest time you sent a note of encouragement to those who are completing what is lacking in your service in faraway places? William Carey, the first missionary to bring the gospel to India, he described his work as he's talking to the churches who were supporting him. He was trying to get them to, to support him. He described his work as going down into the caves. And he said, I'll go into the cave if you hold the rope. I'll go into places you would never go. But I need to know that you are outside holding the ropes, holding on. If you're there holding fast, holding tight, I can go in. And I think we can apply that comparison to all the different services that are performed in God's kingdom. An elder can say that, a deacon can say that, a, a committee member can say that. Not everyone can enter the cave, so together we find people that can go in, whom we trust. We send them in and we hold the safety rope. We provide the supplies. We, we pay attention to the reports of, of what is happening. And our mandate as a congregation is to, to stand looking into the entrance, listening for words, praying, eager to give, to receive news, eager to honor for their service in our place. And brothers and sisters, the more we see that as a collective responsibility, as God's people working together, the easier it is for our children, for our young people, to see themselves as being that person, being that one sent to serve as office bearers, sent to, to serve as, as gospel preachers, sent to, to serve to bring supplies to those in other places. And think about that corporate responsibility. 
to continue the work. And we pray together that we may be such an active, thinking, thriving, living, supportive congregation that recognizes the work that is being done on our behalf, both locally and abroad that is eager to be a part of that work and that rejoices to see the activity of Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord, as he continues to serve the advance of the kingdom. Amen.